Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Momentum is everything. Whether it's learning to ride a bike, getting your car out of a snowdrift, or winning a political election, you need the Big Mo. You see, Big Mo shows up in sports. Perhaps a hypothetical situation will help. Let's say you kick a field goal to go up two, but then the other team marches it down the field in one minute and kicks their own field goal to put them up two with only 45 seconds to go. The air has been absolutely sucked out of this hypothetical stadium, and it seems as if your season has been ended on another field goal-related heartbreaker. But then momentum shifts again, this time for good with a throw off the back foot, a timely missed tackle, but more importantly, an amazing, beautiful, this-doesn't-happen-to-us kind of play that you could hypothetically call a Minneapolis miracle. Momentum can be a driver in sports, in politics, in moving a group of people from thinking one thing to thinking another. Big Mo. Join us on Pine Class Preachers as we discuss this phenom- phenomena. Skull! The Big Mo almost carried you through that whole thing until almost. the very end, Tom. The very end. Until really the very gone. end when you pulled a Stu Gotts and couldn't pronounce a word on the read. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, right in is, front of me. is Skull like a, a Nordic thing? Yes! Skull! Yes, you know what? And I was just thinking. I felt I've got this like uh, glass that I'm pouring my beer into tonight to drink from, and I'm like, I feel like a Viking right now. Yes, good. See, good. some some will say that that skull is simply something you say a, a cheers, if you will. Um, some will say that it is drinking blood from the skull of your enemy. Uh, either way, works. Works. It works. Oh, some some will say it is a producer of fine chewing tobacco. <laughs> some would so, say but you can't understand what they're saying because the bottom half of their jaw is mysteriously missing it's been removed it's gone it's they enjoyed so life until then that's right at any rate, and we enjoy life and we enjoy interacting with our good friends the listener that's you so check us out on social media and we might get back to you uh twitter ig facebook it's possible but also we would love if you left us a review on itunes man we are climbing up those charts and uh, would love to keep that momentum going. That's right. We've kind of stalled on reviews, and we're still at eight. Still trying to hit that magic number of ten. Get them double digits. Get them double digits. Looking to hit the teenage years. That's the big 1-0. Double digits of the pod. It's not. That's not teenagers, Josh. No, but like, you know, when you were like, younger and you were single digit it was a big deal to hit finally hit double digit age to hit the big yeah, one of right. when you turn 13 okay yeah, okay i'm sorry okay i'm sorry we're trying to hit we're trying to hit the tweener years all right can we hit the preteen yeah, sure, stage sure. of this podcast and just get to 10 reviews that's all i'm trying to say just okay. just two reviews that's all we need move Listen. on what are you what are you drinking all right tonight i am on whole 30 but i am breaking my whole 30 fast because i felt like it and I'm drinking uh, some Zacapa rum from Ooh. Zacapa Guatemala. It's so good. So smooth. Nice. Cheers. Good choice. Good Thank choice. You. Thank hey, you. Speaking of, well, somewhat close to Central America and Guatemala, the beer that I'm imbibing tonight is a new Founders Brewing Company IPA. They're Azaka. 
IPA, and it's named after the Haitian god of agriculture. And I see this is not boding well for the uh, idea that I'm a pagan and not actually a Lutheran pastor. So I'm just going <laughs> to stop talking now. It's delicious, but but it, it's it's from Haiti. But I nowhere near as no, I guess I'm like Nordic delicious pagan. as I'm orthodoxy. A, I'm like a Caribbean slash Nordic pagan now. I guess I don't know, but it's a delicious IPA. So thank you, founders. Yes. Yeah, so from a s hole country and hey that's the beer. Listen, there it is hey shameless plug preached on that had to record my own explicit content advisory warning to put on the beginning of that sermon that i nice. posted online nice it had to happen <laughs> and ironically it was like one of the sundays that everyone wanted to leave the kids in oh well, great that got awkward well you'll have that so, not like your kids haven't heard it before oh come on all right tom what do you got well, I've got uh, just a simple uh, bourbon and ginger, and it's delicious, and I'm loving it. Dude, so glad to hear it. Okay, Tom, you got to share your great sporting story. Quick, 30-second sportings with Wait, Gabe Casper. Hold on, hold on. Did our what? listeners actually catch that, that Tom wasn't referencing a hypothetical situation, but that he was actually talking about the Minnesota Vikings slash New Orleans Saints game from the weekend? Yeah, by the time people hear this, it'll be well past and probably the Super Bowl will be done. But just for a minute here, and I so know no and and the greatest this. thing to wait, happen in Minnesota wait, real football. Quick, Tom, make make your prediction. Who wins the Super Bowl? So that when someone listens to this, Ooh, they can laugh yes. at you. Ah, perfect. I, yeah. Yeah. Do I it. mean, I have to say, I have to say that we're gonna win. We're gonna beat the Paul Jacksonville, gonna Jacksonville Jaguars to the Vikings. Six to three. That's gonna be it. All right, you're going to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars six to three. Yep, defensive battle. Boom! Can't wait. I don't okay. know about you. If, if, if Tom's prediction comes true, I'll throw a hundo down on that. Dude, I'll throw two hundo. Yeah. On that. Oh, Tom, you're exactly making exactly true. Oh, yeah, you're making exactly true. Oh, I'm yeah. game with that. You know, I'll match. I'll match. I'll match your two hundred. Four bills, Tom. Okay. Four bills now for, for my story. You guys, my story. So I'm doing CrossFit today. Um. And as you guys know, I've been doing it for about, I don't know, two and a half, three months now. And I'm mostly terrible. But today, today, during our workout, my coach said this to me and then announced it to the entire class. She said, Gabe, that is the most coordinated I have ever seen you move. <laughs> and literally people cheered. it was was a big day it was meant to be a nice thing but it was like you are bad at this but uh i don't care can i ask you a personal question about your crossfit always do you wear yoga pants when you do your crossfit or just like normal sweats or are you the guy that's going shirtless with jeans I like like, are you pulling a tatum channing on crossfit (laughs) i actually do that and a cowboy hat um (laughs) no i do um uh, one well-placed tube sock is uh, my usual. <laughs> That's it, no. Huh? Wow. No, I do uh, the, the like the spanks underneath and then athletic shorts. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Nice. Well, um, while Tom was reveling in his NFL glory and Gabe was proving his coordination, I took the athletic uh, or the definition of athletics to a new level this last week. I finally broke down and got my kids a Wii. Wow. We were playing Wii Sports, all right, a little table tennis. I like to call it ping pong, but uh, my youngest son, my four-year-old, says no, it's actually called table tennis. And, I mean, I was just destroying the kids because I'm coordinated and they're not. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then Jenny, my wife, is like, oh, hey, uh, I'll beat you at ping pong. This should be easy. She stands up and I whooped her like 6 nothing. So my prowess 
when it comes to athletics is at least at this stage in life limited to an electronic device that is online motion sensor operated yeah in which you're beating your wife and four small children oh yeah yeah i will humiliate my family that's good Good you're a good dad thank you thank you i'm bowing right now everyone i'm taking literal bows thank you thank you all right uh we're gonna move this along uh as always we'd like you to check out our facebook page Check us out on Twitter, but we'd also like you to text us our questions. We've actually been getting quite a few questions. Uh, 612-208-6258. 612-208-6258. But none about rosé yet. <laughs> and nothing about rosé yet. We, we need to <laughs> waiting on those rosé stories. Could it be that no so, one has a rosé story? <laughs> literally no one. So we got another question. And uh, again, this comes from my brother, another quote-unquote science question from him and we think it it bears repeating and a little bit of discussion uh if a what does a baby centaur uh when it is nursing does it use the the human nipple or does it use the horse nipple that is the question that my brother poses to us today um discuss and and for brief clarification a centaur is a mythical beast that is half human have horse yes mm-hmm. horse mm-hmm. on the top no or, sorry, no human, human on, the on the top, top horse, horse on the bottom, on the bottom. so yep. therefore it is anatomically possible to have a dual set of nipples <laughs> well aka the tom o'neill story um <laughs> <laughs> dude i think i think it's human because it's a human mouth right so like yeah you got to connect the appropriate mouth to the appropriate nipple. And so I Do think, you? I think so. So I think human mouth goes to human nipple, not human mouth goes to horse nipple. That's well, weird. And the human your, arms your mouth would, be on holding the, would be holding the baby. It, the, we're not letting right. the, the- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, yeah. but you're neglecting the fact that just like when a baby horse is born, it has four legs to stand on. A baby centaur would also be standing on four legs, not being incapable of movement like a human infant. Well, how big is it? And so this is, and and also if you've ever seen a horse in real life, they're pretty tall. So like, I'm thinking you've got half horse, half human, but in like baby form. So it's still walking around, you know, bumbling about like a baby horse. It's not tall enough to reach the human nipple. Well, that's why the mom picks it up, bro. But But how how could the mom pick a baby? Oh, that, see, that's tricky because. Could a centaur mom pick up a centaur baby? That's well, the, that's here's the other thing, bro. Like, you, what makes you think that like the human half of a centaur is is like any more developed than a human baby would be, right? So, so maybe like the horse parts doing this <laughs> thing, like, but the like, baby parts like real floppy, you know? <laughs> it's gotta like support its neck so that so it can support its neck. Got to yeah. swaddle the baby centaur. Uh, yeah. I don't know. This this got really weird really fast. Oh my gosh! It seemed we, like a good idea when Brian texted it, but now I'm regretting this you know decision. What? We're we're gonna try to make up for this one though. We're gonna be starting a new segment here, uh, real quickly called Science with Brian, and we're gonna do some B sides, and where Brian's gonna give us some of his more odd science questions that he's got. So uh, look forward to that. We are gonna go to break though right now, and when we come back, we're gonna have Matt Moberg, who's the pastor of the Table here in Minneapolis, and we're gonna talk. Uh, He's another church planner, so now we have three church planners and me sitting here on this uh, this podcast. We're not going to talk about church planning, uh, but we're going to talk about kind of that momentum thing. We're going to be talking about uh, getting people to buy in. We're getting people to try things in a new way, uh, to look at 
theology, look at church, look at how we interact in society in a different way. And so when we come back, Matt Moberg. Welcome back. Uh, as promised, we have Matt Moberg here, a pastor of The Table, which is a new church plant here in Minneapolis. And we're excited to have him because uh, we feel like he's part of our kin. He fits right into our group here. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, as I said, some uh, thing, higher higher level things about how we, we get groups of people to kind of to the other and, and whatnot. But before we do that, Matt, welcome. Number one question right off the bat. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? Well, tonight's drink of choice is brought to you by New Belgium. I got to be honest, this is the first time I've ever taken this thing down. My wife grabbed some of these today. It's a New Belgium Day Blazer. And it, I don't know if this is part of the title or not, but it says easygoing ale. And let it, me tell you, it is easygoing. <laughs> it is going down very easily. So you can have seven or eight in a quick hour. and fine, I certainly right? could. Yeah, I certainly right. could. Fantastic. Uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about, about you, a little bit about your church, whatever you want to say. Okay. Um, shoot, where do I begin? So I, um, uh, so we just started this church. We are about four months deep into it. We were a community that was, uh, we existed in a bigger evangelical church, um, a church in Edina, which for those of you outside of the Twin Cities area, you're not familiar with, but it's a wealthier suburb. And so it was an affluent church and- Every um, Every day I need attention. Every day I need attention. Every day I need attention. And I will confirm or deny that. But that that is the running stereotype of that church. And there are great people there. I I will not uh, toss shade their way because there actually are very good people there. And and yet at the same time, I think for a lot of us in our community, we were experiencing a more expansive vision of what the kingdom of God could look like. One that transcended a lot of the parameters that were in place there. and to be honest with you, uh, I think uh, we're trying to figure out what does it look like for um, how do we actually be like have be a beneficial presence in Minneapolis? I think a lot of us live in Minneapolis, and so we are going out to do our worship in our community ordeal. And so over a long period of time, I won't ramble because I don't think you'd, you'd enjoy it, but uh, a lot of ups and downs, peaks and valleys. We stumbled into this thing, and now we're about four months into it, and it's just this beautiful uh community that's inclusive and um is trying to actually we're trying to pursue not just matters of the soul but also of the streets and easier said than done i mean we've taken a lot of hits in our four months i mean i know that i got an email just yesterday i'm going off a tangent blame this on the new belgium if i'm going on tangents but we will (laughs) i got an email yesterday right yeah (laughs) i got an email yesterday from somebody who started their thing saying that they they don't come to the table what's wall anymore they 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 were gone a long time ago but they wanted to go out of their way to let me know that they still are having troubling trouble understanding how a church could be founded more on black lives matter than on the grace of jesus christ and so like this is the kinds of things where it's like it's very difficult um 
when you are when you are being birthed inside of the evangelical world and you're trying to insert yourself in something different and bigger in and where it's you're pursuing the common good alongside of others uh we've just run into a lot of people who who don't think that's our best move and yet it's been a beautiful thing thus far again we're only we're only like a half hour into this deal I mean, we're only four months so far and yet um I love Dude, it. So let, Go that's, ahead, like a, that's a big question because, uh, I mean, Josh can speak to this as, as well in that, like that tension between grace and justice. I know this isn't exactly where we're going tonight. We'll get to where we're going in a second. No, this but, is where we're going now. Oh, oh, oh all right. Thank you, Matt. Welcome to my podcast, everybody. Good Lord. But there is, there's this tension between grace and justice where we say, Man, yeah, first and foremost, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And at the same time, first and foremost, Jesus Christ came to launch the kingdom of God. Right. And that includes justice for those that are marginalized in our in our society. Yeah. And so so how do you guys because I mean, I, I'm in in an academic setting now. I'm in a much more uh, affluent setting now. So it's, it's different for me. But for Josh and Matt, like, how do you guys hold that intention? The, so you, what you're asking is, um, if I'm understanding your question correctly, for, for me, here's what it is, is that I think about Christmas. I think about the story of our faith is rooted in the word becoming flesh. And so all matters of the flesh and what the flesh thus encounters matters significantly. And so in our city right now, when we think about how Christ lived his life and listened to the wounds of the people of his time, it wasn't strictly for a concern of the internal or the eternal uh, implications. It was also for the sake of that person cannot sleep tonight because they have sores up and down their body. What are we going to do about these matters? And so the only way that we can actually proactively pursue fidelity in our day in and day out operations and means of going about those things is leaving like the existential, not leaving it. I don't want to say we're divorcing it because that certainly isn't true, but it's, it's making more space for what, how do we actually live into the incarnation of God in this space, in this time, in this season. And for us right now, like we have a lot of wounds in our city. I mean, Minneapolis is one of the top cities by all estimations. When you look at, uh, overall lifestyle, overall um, the economy, a lot of different pieces. Minneapolis is top of the charts, except when you look at how it is playing out for people of color and people in poor communities. And so we have a lot of disparities. Then on top of that, you have a lot of uh, broken relationships between communities and the police department. And so instead of being a community that instead sidesteps that completely and abdicates our responsibility to be a supportive role that speaks and loves and is above and beyond just present, um we try to go that route did that answer your question at all i don't think it did because you started off on truth and grace and i went somewhere with community that's fine man. that's fine it's fine josh what do you think yeah i mean it's a it, it's a hell of a challenge and <clears throat> like we hell. yeah i don't think that actually counts as okay. explicit any okay. any longer okay. i mean if this okay. is the 50s if you, you know like unless any, i was uh, talking about a meatloaf or Mad Men, then i think yeah. we'd probably be all right but um no and and actually it was I I have to say I probably resonated most with what you said Matt when you said that you took a hit recently um I was actually just joking with a friend of mine that uh because since you don't really know any of us um but welcome to the podcast anyway uh I mean I, I planted a church in the hood and so for five years we've been grinding it out in you know one of the most you know um oppressed socioeconomically violently I mean poverty wise kind of neighborhoods yeah. in Chattanooga. And like, I was just joking with a dude. He, he asked me, it's funny. Cause people ask me like, Oh, how's the church going? 
And the best that I can offer him is like, oh, the doors are still open. And I take that as a win, you know, but at the same time, like I was, I was sort of half joking, half lamenting the fact that with the exception of maybe one couple and a couple of college students, we've literally lost every Caucasian member that we've had. Wow. You know, and over the course of five years, we started with a launch team of eight white people. And now five years into it, other than myself and my family um, and this one other couple, we have almost no white people who stick around because there, there is a difficult uh, – you know, Gabe, you mentioned the word tension before on, on, you know, episodes more specifically pointed at race in America and, and the tension that divides us and that kind of thing. But, you know, like everyone loves the idea, especially white people like love the idea of racial reconciliation, love the idea of justice, yet few are willing to just kind of like get bogged down in the trenches of it and be willing to grind day in and day out. Um, and, you know, one thing that's been I've been hearing a lot of lately from uh, from my neighbors in South Chattanooga is just this phrase like, ah, man, white people, you know? And it's like, here I am, a white dude. And so part of me is feels a sense of shame and embarrassment. But yet at the same time, I understand it on a more, you know, yeah. visceral level because I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I used to be there and I, I know exactly how some of these people feel, you know, and it's MLK weekend or, or week, you know, people are celebrating. It. It's like the, the annual homage to people of color and then one that we'll all soon forget and move on, you know, to President's Day. Uh, yeah. here in February. So the, the taking the hits is just sort of like run of the mill day in, day out kind of stuff, but it's the perseverance, um, and not just taking the hits, but being willing to like engage in the long-term grind, I think right. that is, is most applicable to, you know, pursuing justice holistically, you know, spiritually, racially, economically, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it can be, I'll say this, it can be very profitable to sound prophetic, right? I mean, like if you, when it comes to racial reconciliation and things of these sorts, you can talk all you want. You can love the idea of racial justice and whatnot, but you can at the same time be profiting off of white supremacy and preserving it in its place. And so until you are actually going where you have chosen to go and are willing to let some things die so that you can arrive where you need to be, I don't care what you have to say. It just because all of none of your words have actually been brought to the flesh. Like they're still in like this place out here where you are making bank off of sounding like you are edgy and like you know what's going on. But until you actually have skin on the game and are encountering a loss for that thing, I just don't think there's. I think that the credibility of these things is being exposed more and more today. And that's a, and it's specifically in this year because I think people are fatigued by that right there. Yeah. And, so, and actually, I'm, I'm glad you hold on real quick, Tom. I'm glad you brought that up because you're not I mean, Gabe and I and Tom, we're all Lutherans. Uh, Gabe and I are Lutheran church planters. I know that you are not Lutheran. And so yeah. this is <clears throat> I'm, yeah, I'm deep, we'll get you, buddy. Yep. Ah, <laughs> we're deep. I, at least I'm deeply interested because you, you're absolutely right that you can profit off of sounding prophetic. Yet what I've experienced um, in, in our tribe, at least, is the fact that there is no profiteering on speaking out in terms of racial equity um, and calling out prophetically the fact that we're a predominantly white, you know, uh, church body. And we do a really terrible job about not just integrating people of color, but actually reconciling with uh, the sins of our past and the ways that we've been complicit in perpetuating racist systems. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds as far as like your denominational affiliation or anything like that. But what is what has a reaction been from both this church in Adina? Is it Adina or Adina? 
Edina. Edina. You know, what, what has been the reaction from the mother congregation in Edina? And uh, perhaps if you have a greater denominational affiliation, when it, you know, being so outspoken, like it seems that you are about some of these issues, uh, yeah. the, the typical reaction is like, uh, hey, man, that's cool, but don't talk too loudly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's been that's been largely the reaction. So I'll say this is that we um, we have taken. Um, I'll say this, and, and I hope you guys. I think you'll get what I'm saying. I, I'm not a church guy. I planted a church, so I know that would be be deceiving. But like, I, I just if if we're not doing something that is actually good news, then I just don't have interest in it whatsoever. And so I I can't do church just to do church. And so. For when we started this thing and we started feeling like we, like um, the spirit was leading us to this place in South Minneapolis and outside of Edina, um, we, we ended up being we tried to be as faithful as we can to like how we are actually going to step into this. Are, it, do our convictions, are they represented in how we are speaking, how we are communicating, how we are practicing our life together as a community? And, and we ended up losing probably $200,000 of funding because we we refused to be a part of a denomination that didn't include LGBTQ families as equals and um not so we don't have a mother church like I feel like I am an orphan in, I'm an orphan running an orphanage for other <laughs> spiritual orphans in some ways like we're all in this together trying to make the most understand what it is that we're doing but we we've said no to different and, and it's tough to do because if you you I'm sure you understand this but you know, it'd be a lot more sustainable to be a lot more um, to say PC. yes to. Do you know what I'm saying? Like to to like go along with the flow of things that you're like, I, I can't do that because I know John and Jen who would be wounded if I did. And, and I can't I cannot step on them for the sake of preserving this. And and so we have we've sidestepped a lot of, you know, denom again, denomination, the mothership reality. Um, we've had to kind of let some of that go in order to for what we feel like we've been called into. And I'm not saying that as a universal call, but I am saying that that's just for where we've gone right there. I cannot remember your question again. I'm sorry. It's the well, new let, Belgium. Let's, what let's, is let's interesting? <laughs> what are you doing to me? Day blazer. It's 17. It's 17 percent alcohol. <laughs> it's 17. So let, let me take it just like a step higher because we've kind of like delved into our, our, our personal cities and things like that. But um, when I see like, growing divides between people groups whether it's church groups or or democrats and republicans men or women straight or gay uh things like that these different tribes if you will uh, on on any level have this piece of just uh christianity is maybe looked at as being divisive as being extreme uh or maybe on the flip side completely irrelevant yeah uh you guys are, are are in are in this church are, are are planning churches. How do you deal with some of that kind of stuff? I mean, I wonder if Gabe actually experiences more of the divisive or irrelevancy question than I do, at least. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think I do in 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 two senses. Like one, one when when I was planting churches in Austin, it was like. Um, Oh, good. Another church in central Texas, like just what we need. And so so in one sense, like trying to uh, help people understand what it means to start new churches and what it is to to create new cultures and create new movements in that place. And so there was an irrelevancy born out of um, monotony or born out of like, OK, there's plenty of these like like we need another one. 
so so there's that. But then now in in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan, there's this sort of um, well, I'm reading a book right now called Technology is Magic. And uh, and the idea, right, being like, what sort of good is God when we can end up solving most of our problems with science? Yeah. And and so, you know, if, if, if people want to deal with that, like they want to deal with their sort of existential problems, fine. But the practical stuff, we'll take care of that with science. And we're actually really good at it. And they are. Uh, and, and so... Um, so that's a whole other irrelevancy piece that that comes into play here, which is why it's actually a little bit interesting in that, like where I'm at right now, just different to the two of you is like, you, you know, certainly I care about justice it, it, because the kingdom of God cares about justice. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a lot more like evangelism, like it's just people that do not care about Jesus. And so it's like, hey, let me tell you about this guy. He's amazing and you need him in your life. Um, and, and so it's like finding relevancy, not so much in the justice arena where we are, but more in the like existential arena. Mm. And, and so it's a lot of, of trying to, to play that card and play that game to be like, dude, quit being nihilistic and have some hope. You know, th that actually makes me think of, so obviously for, for Matt and for Gabe and I, um, and, and any other church planter or entrepreneur, or, I mean, really any, any person who has to try to start something new on any level <clears throat> has to think of, you know, how do I, how do I sell my message? Right. We're, we're taught how to give our, our little 30 second, one minute, two minute elevator speech to quickly and easily get across what we are trying to do. The, the movement we're trying to start, the momentum we're trying to build the message that we are trying to convey, right. In order to gather people, resources, et cetera, kind of onto our team, right? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, Gabe, as you said that, like, clearly you're in a different context. I mean, I would even say that that even though Matt and I have been speaking a lot of the same language, like, I mean, I know nothing about the Twin Cities and I didn't know anything about the South until I lived down here. And so I know that there are even cultural differences when it comes to conversations of, of race in America between the upper Midwest and, you know, the the Southeast. Yet at the same time, what is common, I think, to all of us. And Tom, you probably experienced this trying to raise money, you know, for a, a major organization is like, how do you cast the vision? You know, how do you get people to buy into what you're selling? That's a crass way of putting it. But how do you get people to buy into what you're selling so that you can share that good news with them so that you can say, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, quit being a nihilist, have some hope or hey, quit um, just so, relying on the racist systems that have propped you up to the position of power and privilege that you're in and get back to it. And the reason that I raise this is because, you know, and I don't know about you, Matt, but at least for Gabe and I, since we went through similar training when it came to church planting, you know, before we even got to our cities or shortly after we arrived in the cities that we were planting churches, we were told and, and kind of instructed to create these vision statements, right? You know, mm -hmm. statements of, of what, of what the end goal looks like. And yet I was, I was really deeply challenged uh, reading through a book recently that, that challenged that concept by like, so I was, I was under the impression that me creating the vision created the end goal. And by propositioning the end goal, it would recruit people to buy into said end goal and therefore mm -hmm. kind of join me on the journey. Right. But this uh, this leadership book that I was reading, which everyone knows, and now you know, Matt, I hate leadership books, but I found this one and decided to open it once. It says that vision creates the context for 
every endeavor and every goal, but it's not the end goal. It leaves some ambiguity and some room for space. And I think that's played out in our conversation tonight because each of us has had to deal with a different context. At the same time, is there a fallacy of casting vision and sort of cementing an end goal without leaving room for ambiguity, without leaving room for fluidity? So so you, you asked about me, and mine's really easy because I'm simply – putting something in front of people that that is really an undeniable truth and everyone hooks into hey there's people who are hungry can you help that because that's a basic need and that's really really simple at least in my opinion but matt i'll ask you this when, when you think about that visioning and things like that here you are doing something that's that's different but kind of the same yeah you're talking about jesus you're talking about about uh about being saved through through the the actions of, of Jesus Christ on the cross, but you're doing it in a different way. So, kind of, can you speak to that that visioning that? Uh, yeah, because I mean, we're because we're leveraging we're leveraging culture, we're leveraging different ideas to to get to that buy-in. Contextually, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, Matt, what what are you doing? So our vision statement, if you will. So let me first say this is that I totally resonate with like, I, and I'm actually, I want to know the book that you're reading because I've always had beef or some kind of strain with vision statements as if they are like the golden cow, the one thing that you need. And so you put this up Matt, and then, me and you, oh buddy, gosh. I'm right with you. I can't figure it out though, because I, I always hear be it at a church training thing or, or whatever, like it's like you form the perfect sentence in all of heaven will be yours. Like that is more or less like that what has been sold to us. And yet it's, yes. I'm going to filter myself. It's dumb. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it doesn't, it never plays out that and people get lost. Or, or you, or you make your vision or you make your mission statement or vision statement so broad that I can literally, you know, I, I, I can sell you killing kittens exactly you know and make it Whoa. fit into my mission Whoa. Whoa. What, what, Whoa. let me ask you can i can i can i tangent really quick is that a generational thing because in my experience so killing kittens you know, killing killing i know Look that at my cat right. pringles right now and tell her you're gonna kill her hey, pringles I'll we did not her. mean any harm oh, pringles and oh, tell I'll me you want to easy her. man easy we're not we're cat fans here that's what i thought i've got 14 more where that came from uh, <laughs> we um i i just didn't get i haven't heard again people of our generation speaking of vision in the way that I've heard it in, or in, in older generations. And so I don't know if that's a dying thing, but Dude, so, your heart so, hey. for, for putting me into your generation. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, you're old. Yeah. It's the new Belgium. Again, it's the new Belgium. Well, I'll be that guy. I'll be that guy because I actually, I really believe in them a lot. Go ahead. Um, and I didn't, I didn't. Josh and I used to commiserate about this a lot when we were first training to be church planners. I was like, this is the stupidest crap. Like, let me just love people and let's make it happen. Um, but, but the reality is, man, how, how do you mobilize people? How do you invite people into something without giving them a picture of what they're driving towards? Okay. Like, like, I don't know any other way to do it than encapsulated words. I think the problem is there's a lot of empty vision statements to Tom's point. Like if I had a nickel for every church that was like, you know, what's your mission? Uh, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. Right. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty freaking big. What's that look like? You know, so so I, I'm a big fan of what I call a vision frame, where we say, hey, this is this is our mission. Uh, this is our strategy to do that. These are the values that we carry with us along the way. And this is how we know when we're successful. And I'm like, 
hardcore on that. Sure. And that's our language again and again. So we're in a series right now in my church called DNA, where we're looking at our values as a congregation and saying, this is the stuff that we live and die on. And to me, to the point of momentum, like that's the whole thing is it has to be stuff that you are willing to freaking like throw your life on the line for and you invite people into that. But the problem is it's so awesome, often becomes just too generic and too bland that who cares? Right. But to me, I'm like, no, we need to capture this nugget that is is worth living and dying for and invite people into that life. But yeah. would, you be, would you be willing to, or I guess, okay, react to the statement then, Gabe, okay. to, to read from this book yet again, because I told you it's really good. And you what know, is the name of this from, book? Okay, it is called The Primes, How Any Group Can Solve Any Problem by Chris McGough. The Prime. Okay, and Gabe knows just how oh much God, I hate books prime. like this. So for me to be quoting this is... Uh, a sheer feat of history, even more than the Minneapolis miracle. All right. Okay. So, so react to the statement then uh, actually both of you, I'd appreciate a reaction is that the greatest visions quote are always dynamically incomplete, always emerging. Have they, to are, be. they are never fully detailed as the voids are what invite others to co-create. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because yes. what I, because what I heard so like I, I almost heard two, and I'm I'm terribly overgeneralizing both of you. So I fully admit that. Was Matt? You're like, hey, let's not get nailed down. Gabe, you're like, no, let's nail ourselves to something. Yeah. And so this statement to me seems to offer a bit more definition, um, you know, from being completely just like free form fluid, but yet yeah. provides an opportunity uh, for from like what I heard you say, Gabe, to say, uh, maybe there's a comma in there. You know what I mean? Maybe yep. a semicolon. Yep. So what do you guys think? Dude. So let, I'll go, I'll go quick, Matt is, is, uh, so like our mission at, at my congregation now is mobilizing generations to join Jesus on his mission. Okay. So that's, that's our mission statement, whatever. And so to me, like, that's pretty broad, right? What does it mean to mobilize generations to join Jesus on his mission? It you can mean a lot of mobilizing things. everybody. Well, right. So, Tom, but there's a reason Tom, we did a, that. As an old person, how do you hear that? Well, what is your reaction I, as an old person? If I move my walker away, um, no, it, it, it's just what I said. It just sounds like mobilizing everybody for okay. Jesus. All right, Gabe, continue. So, yeah. So, in one sense, that's fine, Tom. But the idea is that what's so? What's that statement say? It says, "Hey, we're not about sitting still. We're not about just like hanging out and high fiving each other and, and like." bringing green jello salad to a church picnic like we're about moving people through because we're ascending congregation like we're in a transient community and so our goal is like hey we're about you know a third college students a third grad students and a third people that live there all the time and so it's about saying amongst these different generations of people how do we send them out to follow jesus now that's me dude i'll live and die for that i'll live and die to help people better follow jesus to mobilize more people to follow after him that's easy now, what exactly that looks like, man, that's that's multifaceted. Now, we have certain strategies that we we hold to, uh, but even within those strategies, there's room for for people to to do their own thing because that's the whole idea of mobilization is that we're saying, hey, get your butt in gear. We're not a place that sits still. If you want to sit still, go somewhere else. That's all I got, Matt. Well, I, what I liked about what you're saying, and I actually don't think that we are too far apart on this one. I think that... I, 
the uh, the idea of like leaving space to invite others yes certainly but also to remind yourself that like you don't have all your sh your stuff together you know what i mean like you uh, <laughs> we're going to keep this e free stuff we together <laughs> stuff together <laughs> nice. together nice but, but my point being is that it is like um so here here's a little bit of my beef right here is that you you have your framework you have your dna and i'm with you like i do think like there is something central about understanding not only that you are gathering that you are a movement but that you are this kind of a movement like i think that's important i think it's important not only for the contagiousness for getting that taste of what it is that you're trying to be about and for galvanizing and gathering other people to join in on it with you. I do think that my, my, I think my tension, my strain with these vision statements is where it's the end all be all locked and set in stone, as opposed to like, this is the direction we are heading. God, feel free to detour us at any point now. Do you know what sure. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like there's always, and not always, always isn't a fair word. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get uh, really exaggerative throughout this thing, so I apologize. We're but, ready. but I, I think that a lot of times it's often here's where we need to go. Here's the five steps we need to get there. Bada bing, bada boom. I'll see you in September. Do you know what I mean? And it feels like you're lying right now, or it doesn't feel like it feels yeah. like it feels like God may have inspired that. You might have baked that in a holy oven, and that's fine and all, all, but. But man, isn't this supposed to be more of a journey? Like we're talking about God. You can't talk about anything more mysterious than God. And we're talking about embarking on this divine encounter as a people. We think God is leading us here. We're taking the next step faithfully. But beyond that, like. Well, and that's, that's kind of the, like, the nature of, of, of being a, a human, right? It's, it's right. Uh, you know, it's, it's like Proverbs 3 and 5, right? Like. Uh, you know, set your sights on the Lord, make your plans, and he's going to make the path straight. Right. And and so it's like that. That's kind of the whole deal is we say like, all right, given our human resources, given what we can see, given what we know about sociology and leadership and, and how things work, we're going to use the, you know, you talked to incarnation earlier, Matt, like we're going to use these gifts that God has given us uh, this side of eternity to do what we think makes sense. Yeah. But you're right. We have to keep ourselves open to say, Man, along the way, God could say, actually, you're going to do this. And we got to be open to him doing that and follow that lead more than anything. And you know, the interesting the ahead. interesting thing about all this is from the non-pastor in the group here, when I'm sitting in my strategy sessions, looking at building a two-year strategic plan, looking at building a five-year strategic plan or a 10-year strategic plan, I especially look at that 10-year plan and say, this is as good as the paper that it's written on. Yep the best intentions into putting a two and five year plan together where we think we would like to be and things like that. And then all of a sudden 2008 happens and everything gets thrown out the window or, yeah. you know, you get a new tax plan and now all of a sudden you have to replan every single thing. Yeah. And so the interesting thing is in business, you don't have that theological component, but it, but it's still, yeah. it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So let me, let me throw this your way. Um, is so, so you're right, Tom, it, but um, for me, so I really follow a lot from this book called Church Unique, uh, Will Mancini. And, and he's, great book. It's a great book. And he's the one who kind of is about this vision frame. And so it's about having all these pieces, not just some random saying. Um, the idea with the frame, though, and, and then now I'm going to quote Peter Drucker here, uh, where he says, Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. And, and so mm -hmm. strategy, man, you can come up with your one, two, three, four, five steps. And that can all get crapped on either by God or circumstance, whatever. Uh, and that can get thrown out the window. Fine. But culture, man, curating a culture, creating a culture is everything. 
Yeah. You, it's about creating a culture that's going to survive 2008. It's about creating a culture that's going to adapt to a God who's on the move. And so to me, that like that's where vision comes into play. That's where mission comes into play in that you create a culture. See, and that's where I would push back a little bit, though. And I would say that more often than not, what happens that handicaps people from actually being able to follow God into the new places where the spirit is erupting in their midst is like this commitment to this is how we do things. This is what it looks like. Here's how we go about our business. And maybe that's different than what you are saying from from vision. I'm sure it is, but it's actually probably not because I'm going to disagree with you real quick because actually okay, that's fine with me. So so like say you come to my church and you're like, man, I really feel like uh, I don't know what's something we don't do. Like we, we don't minister to Muslims right now. All right. So so maybe someone comes to my church like, man, I really got a heart for evangelism to to people that that are um, are Muslims. Like, dude, that is awesome. This church two doors down, like, is awesome at that. Like, you should walk alongside them. Like, we're just not, we don't do that. And I'm okay with that. You know, so I think we have a kingdom perspective when we say, what uniquely has God called our organization to do? And then how can we trust God and his kingdom uh, to work in ways that we're not equipped to do? Because we're, an organization is not all yeah. things to all people. Individually, we're called to be all things to all people. An organization that's all things to all people is nothing to no one. Right. But the problem. So, yeah, I agree with you totally. The problem that I often end up seeing is that when you become more addicted, committed, uh, faithful to this idea of your vision of what God has put on you in a large sense, that is beautiful. And I'm with it. But what happens oftentimes, these communities care more about their output than they do about their outcome. And so they care more about, like, are we fulfilling mm -hmm. the one, two step or are we keeping yep. a grander sense of like what it is we're stepping yeah. towards? Yeah, that's, that's why I think it, it gets lost sometimes. Yeah, you're right. Yep. No, that's and, good. And, and let me throw in this. Um, so I apprenticed, so to speak, under, at least for our tribe, a, a really successful church plant, you know, grew to a thousand people ish on a Sunday. And we did our annual January Daniel fast uh, to fast and pray about these exact same things, right? Mission and vision. And at the time I was being prepared to be sent to Chattanooga to plant this church. And he said, Hey, all right, I want you to to focus uh, or your prayers and your fasting on, you know, this this mission, right? This vision statement of of what you would have done, and we we discussed this a few episodes ago about mysticism and and our mystical encounters and that kind of thing, and yet during this fast, it was the one of the only times that I came as close as I possibly thought I could be to an audible directive from the Holy Spirit, right? And this this vision, so to speak, quote unquote, uh, definition that we've been talking about said one church to transform a neighborhood, one neighborhood to transform the city. Hmm. All right. Not, not terribly unfamiliar. I'm not going to say completely original either. That, that sounds very, you know, apropos to a lot of mission and vision statements. And what I realized really quickly, that was, that was our operating vision statement. Um, with a mission of just at, of Micah 6a. I mean, it stole it straight from the Bible, right? And very quickly I realized from, from mentors, from coaches, from the fact that it just wasn't going to be a reality, that there was no way in hell that I was going to plant a church that was going to like lock down a neighborhood and then therefore transform an entire city. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it just wasn't going to happen. Like let, let me be realistic instead of being naive. Yet at the same time, from a, a, a kind of transcendental sort of perspective, it could be true. 
And we've pivoted. We have been very fluid in our definition of, of what that actual vision looks like, not willing to lock it down 100%, but at the same time, um, r- retaining the, the privilege, I guess, to move in and with that idea that, hey, you know what, let's let's continue to to take it back to our very early conversation, uh, you and you and I, Matt. Let's let's continue to be prophetic, but not out of greed or pride or a sense of saying like, yeah, we're gonna stir shit up. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. have to edit that out. The e, uh, the e. I, I did it. It was my fault, and I edit these things. It's gonna be annoying. Anyway, stir things up just for the sake of doing it in order to write a book or you know get a few blog posts or whatever. Yeah, but to do it because it's necessary. You know what I mean? So it's like. I, I what I hear from both of you is this balance between let's lock something down so we've got something to dig our teeth into and and stand on, but at the same time if if we treat it like a golden calf, it'll ultimately be our That's demise. Right. That's, That's good. right. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think just to kind of put a bow on this, I, I feel and, and I kind of just said it a little bit ago, but I think this this concept applies to whether it's you're in regular regular old business if you are uh, church planning whether you're in church work whether it's the vision that you have for your family or you yeah. and your you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is I, I, am i wrong no you're right yeah yeah i think you're on it yeah yeah boom nailed it perfect bow tom yes <laughs> i'm great right bow. great bow Wait, I'm right. Before we let Matt go, it's uh, Matt. Where can people find you in the interwebs? That listen, there are dozens of people that listen to this. Come on, that, is this my big break? Is it happening right, right now? Yep. This you might have it. twenty people. This Maybe. is it. Maybe. Um, Mom's mom. My mom. All right. Let me give Zon- a direct. Zonder right Ben will be approaching mom. you for a book deal after okay. this. And I anticipated that this would unfold like this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you can. Uh, uh, I suppose. Uh, I mean, are you asking for like my social media accounts yeah, right now? Man. Yeah. I mean, if you, whatever, if you want people whatever to know you about, want to do, whatever if you, you want, want anyone do. to know about you, that's fine. But if you yeah. want people to know about you, but, the if, table, but if you'd like to walk the streets and put the red light out, Matt, you go for it. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, you can find me at Twitter at no way. Hold on on Twitter at Matt Moberg. That's one of them. And then the same, the same name for Instagram. I, I think that's my only two accounts. Facebook is, is just Matt Moberg, but. But and, cool. and Just, how about man, that felt that felt pretty uh, anticlimactic. Well, how about <laughs> the table? Where, where can I find the table? Uh, at the table, MPLS. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, please check it out. If you are in the Minneapolis area, I would encourage you to attend the table at least once, maybe twice, and Come really through. get. Yeah, I mean, get. I think to your point, man, get a very different taste of what it means to not just sit and talk about about your faith, not just sit and listen about what the good things to do would be, but to get out and not just do church, but go out and actively live that faith. I think, I think if I heard you right, that's kind of your, your MO of what you're trying to do with your, with your congregation. Yeah. Our community is, that is kind of the, um, that's what we're trying to be about. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're, we're going after. Um, if people, Hey, if people wanted to come through, if you're going to be putting this out in two weeks, next month, we are doing a sermon series called, Three and a half minutes, ten bullets, based on the Jordan Davis story in Texas, where we talk about implicit bias, talking about the kingdom of God as far as rec- racial reconciliation. If anybody else, any other church planters, want to look into this sermon series, it was produced by the Christian Community Development Association, and uh, it's pretty top notch. 
CCDA. CCDA, yep. yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Shout out to CCDA, but, 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 our next corporate sponsor. Yeah, hey, they've they got good stuff going there. The table, wow. though, is a is yes, we are pursuing justice and we're trying to live into these practicing embodied ways. But honestly, our community is um it's just a little different. Like I think a lot of us would say that we um uh we're a lot of skeptics. A lot of people we have more questions than answers, and that starts at the top and all the way, you know, from everybody else. And so I think we're all trying to figure it out, but there's a sense of togetherness. So if you if Gabe's mom wants to come through, I will save her a seat in the front row. I will prepare a coffee for her. Five o'clock Sunday nights. Debbie's there, man. Get She's Debbie there. All right. As we go to break, can can we just all have like that's your MO and we were talking about the big Mo and you know, even though like, um, if you really I mean, want to stretch it, Matt Yeah, sure. Mober, yeah let's I mean, take it there on. to a terrible level. Everything. Huh? <laughs> break, go to break, go to break. Man, things are going so well. Hey, when we come back, one pressing question that's on your heart and mind, good listener, that we will be answering. You know what it is. We and know no, what it is. It's not centaur nipples. <laughs> Break time. All right, welcome back. Uh, again, that was Matt Moberg from the table here in Minneapolis, and we really appreciated having him on. We are going to wrap up here. And one of the things, I, I guess, a question that I want to post to you guys, and I'll let each of you answer here. But um, as we talk about about momentum and bringing bringing forth this idea of theology forward, um, not just theology. I'm sorry, like belief in God. And what are the challenges you're you're seeing and sharing the gospel and the Christian life when, with an increasingly self-centered divisive all about me culture. Well, you know, I've been, I've been looking at this passage uh, or a couple of passages, one from Matthew, one from Luke lately, where Jesus is approached by someone and challenged by them. And essentially the question is the same, Hey, what do I got to do to be good enough to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, believe in God one, and commandment number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And what I see as being problematic is this idea that based on our definition of God, the thing we worship or, or allow to dictate the way that we move, think, and be, um, we, we focus on that and it tends to be self-serving in a very sinful, you know, kind of introspective kind of way. And I think that we have neglected the neighbor entirely the love of the neighbor to an extent that it then actually undermines both of the commandments together all right so dude and this is where i would disagree um so uh, it, well if i understand what you're saying josh is you're saying people say ah yes you know jesus says first commandment is love lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself and if i understand what you're saying josh you're saying that that first part uh love the lord your god you're saying people in general are pretty okay with that but their definition of who God is ends up being kind of this God of their own making. Exactly. And therefore they don't love their neighbor. Yes, because the God that they choose tends to give them the wiggle room to ignore their, the plight of their neighbor or, okay. or a, a, an, 
or a healthy interaction with the neighbor. Yes. Well, then I then I guess I would say I, I don't disagree with you uh, on that point at all. However, I'd make the caveat that I think that the bigger issue then is actually getting a right understanding of 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 who this God is. Uh, a right understanding vertically before I really worry about the horizontal. I mean, I care about the horizontal a ton, so other people. Uh, but, 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 how do I put it, dude? Well, well, hold on. Let me throw this out there. Let me throw this out there because I, I think what you're getting at is this. I, I can't remember what I was listening to. It may have been an NPR report. It may have been a, a, another podcast. I, I really can't remember. But someone said, oh, no, it was it was it was a, a fresh air with Terry Gross. And they were interviewing a comedian who grew up an evangelical Christian. Right. And he said that when he got to New York and started, uh, you know, trying to trying to bustle and, and that kind of thing on the streets to get his spots in these comedy clubs, he developed meaningful relationships with with many self-ascribed atheists. Yeah. And when it came to questions of morality or uh, interaction with the neighbor, quote unquote. That he said that the morality of the atheist was greater because he was trying to appease this God that demanded something of him. Yet he said that his atheist uh, uh, friends and, and the people he had relationships was more deep because they were more concerned with how it affected their neighbor, how it affected the people that they were in relation to. And what I found intriguing about it was like, okay, on the one hand, I get it. But on the other hand, you've got this, this no frame of reference. So like for his frame of reference and in his evangelical Christian upbringing was if I don't do these things or I don't love my neighbor in these ways, God will be mad at me and I will jeopardize my eternal life or, or, or the future of my soul, body which, and soul. Which, of course, you and I both know is bad theology. Of course, of course, of course. I'm just simply repeating what this guy said, right? Well, so, but he you know, said goes... – so, so he gave the example of this, and I think that this will will give you the opportunity to segue into this, right? All right, all right. So he says that he and some of his atheist friends are, uh, are, are at a store or at a hotel, I'm sorry. And they're in the little shop, you know, with the snacks at the hotel, and it's late at night, and there's no clerk there, and they're all hungry. So he's like, hey, why don't we steal some M&Ms? And his gut reaction is they're going to say no, because then there's got to be some kind of a frame of reference um, where this is a, a, an incorrect behavior, a wrong behavior. And they say, no, no, no. What this actually affects is the person who's working, who's supposed to be working behind this desk, because then they will get fired for us stealing from them. And so they were yeah. elevating their morality beyond a, a God um, individual relationship, but to the neighbor to neighbor relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, though, that's where I would just say it comes down to this guy's flawed understanding of who God is, right? Sure. That, that if and now you're right. This this is the challenge. Actually, oh, Josh, you're so right because this is the challenge of of the gospel in a self centered culture. All right, so I think it's interesting you ask that way, Tom, because it's not necessarily the gospel in a secular culture. It's not necessarily the gospel in a pluralistic culture. It's a gospel in a self centered culture. And so you're right. That is the challenge because what happens is we end up pitching the gospel as purely this like individual transaction at best between you and God. And that, and that either, you know, it's the moralistic therapeutic deism, right? So either God just wants you to feel good and he wants you to be good and he's just up there doing his thing. And, and that's silly. Um, or it, it, it's like a, well, the gospel is just about me and God and not about anything else. And then that leads to this sort of 
uh, shallow moral thinking about how you engage the world. So you are right. But I think a robust theology of who God is and what he's about in this world is the best way to be shaped to love your neighbor. Because his, his atheist friends can be as loving as they want to be, and, and I'm sure they are. But ultimately, uh, what, what's, what's their basis for that? What, what's, what's the groundwork? What's the framework for doing that? Why is well, that what they want to do? Well, it, and, and what he described it as was basically that like, hey, we have to look out for one another. Like we've got to do what is in Why? the best interest of, and, and that's, and that's the question I had, because on the one hand, I saw the flaw in his, his own theology that like God has, um, he has revealed himself, not as a God to be feared in the sense of like being afraid of judgment, but as a God who is to be revered in the sense of respect for the sacrifice that he made. Right. So on the one hand, this dude's theology isn't as robust as it should be. Right. Yet at the same time, you've got these, you know, atheist friends of his who I think ultimately is a self-centered position to take that, right. uh, whoa, like we're going to screw this person over um, and eventually like someone's got to make decision that's the same decision about me. Yep. Always intrinsic well, to the individual, whereas we're, we're always juxtaposing ourselves and positioning ourselves, you know, in these kind of like almost mathematical formulas where like, Hey, if I screw this person over, then someone else is in the same position to like, you know, hurt me. And if we're always looking out for ourselves, then ultimately we'll be looking out for each other. Right. Well, so, so this, this and so to me, you move that onto a grander scale and this is where the issue comes in. Uh, Ross uh, Dothath or Dothat, I don't know who he is, the New York Times columnist. He's, I think he's Catholic actually, but he had a tweet recently in which he said, uh, the new left, so the extreme left, uh, you know, your social justice warriors, if you will, and the alt-right, he said, are our first glimpse at what it looks like to live in a post-Christian America. And and he's right. Because on the one hand, with the alt-right, you get this like pure, straight-up tribalism, I'm going to do what I want. On the, the far left, you get this idea in which if you are not us, then you're inherently the oppressor. And so it's okay for me to do whatever I want to to you and to demonize you however I want because you're the oppressor and I care about the oppressed. Oh, and I happen to fit into that category. And it ends up being an incredibly self-serving thing described as altruism. Mm. And and to me, that's that's the natural thing that will happen unless you're rested in the grace of God, unless you're completely secure in who he is and all that's taken care of for you. And so the love for God is already there. And then from there comes love of neighbor. So you're saying that you, that because of God's grace, uh -huh. you're able to be secure enough in your identity uh -huh. as a, a redeemed horrific person. Yeah that you're then able to actually love your neighbor in the same way of the love that you have received and say, yeah, you deserve it too. Yep. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Boy, what that, that would change in our sociopolitical environment today. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's uh, wrap it up, friends. Uh, so real quick, we want to shout out to our partners at the Beggars Blog and at the Gospel Economist. Uh, Gospel Economist hosts our site. They're a wonderful place, group of writers and thinkers that uh, seek the story of Jesus in our everyday lives. The Beggars Blog is an intersection of Lutheran pastors commenting on everything and theology. We encourage you to check both of them out. Good friends of ours. We love partnering with them. Beggars Blog, Gospel Economist. You're going to love them. 
We love them. That's all I got. Well, we want to shout out all the moms, of course. Uh, you know, apparently we've got Debbie on this now, so that's yeah. great. Listen, um, my, let, let me clear Josh, the air. Do you have let, a let mom? Clear, yes, let me clear the air. I have a mother. She doesn't listen. Whoa. Chris, Christy Woodrow is not a devoted fan of the podcast like Debbie and Jay. Oh. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I got to pick it up. Bro, do you need a hug? A virtual hug? A virtual hug. Well, I mean, emoji. None of our I mean, wives listen to our show either, which, gift. you know, whatever. Jenny, hey, let me tell you, Jenny tried to lie to me and tell me she's listened to some episodes. I'm like, all right, what was the last one you listened to talking about? And she couldn't even list it. So my own, my own wife is like, I can't yeah, Probably because you beat her in table tennis. I mean, I whooped her in ping pong. You sure did. You sure did. All right. Hey, 612-208-6258. Text us your questions. Rosé stories. Please. And how much, you, how much you want our wives to come on the show and be part of this whole thing for one episode. And reviews on iTunes. Can we hit 10 just one time? Just you know, teenage years. Teenage years. <laughs> Preteen, tweeners. Give me a break, guys. Give me a break. All right. Well, that's it for now. We'll see you later.